0: Church family, you're finding with me the book of John, chapter 12, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject: life after life. Life after life. John chapter 12, we'll begin to read in verse 1. There the Bible says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was where Lazarus was, who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, "'Why was this fragrant oil not sold?' for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used it to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She is kept this day for my burial. For the poor you do have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, God, I pray your Holy Spirit will convict lost people of their need for you, show them their sin. I pray they'll turn from sin and trust Christ today. And God, I do pray, as we look into the lives of these three believers, these followers of christ these disciples we see these spiritual traits in them uh that these disciplines that exist in the abundant life after the life they've received from turning from sin and trusting you i pray every believer here today every disciple really allow the spirit of god to do inventory in their heart or these same traits reality in our life now the life that we have after spiritual life god pray if we as we come to a time of invitation that you, Spirit, will speak clearly to us your will and your invitation. Show us the needs that we have today. And as Randy's saying, God, we'll come and we'll lay those needs at your feet. We'll, we'll place ourselves at your feet. And pray that Romans eight twenty nine will be a reality in our life. You will today, God, will further conform us unto the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Last week, as we preached through John chapter eleven, we examined truths concerning our life in Christ, and we shared with you. You know that the greatest need that anyone has, um, something probably came to your mind this morning as Randy was singing that song. You know, I have this need, friend. I want to remind you. Whatever that need is, if you've never turned and trusted Jesus Christ, you have a greater need. You're spiritually dead. And you need life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 11, verse number 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He is our resurrection. He is our life. And it's because of the great problem that all people share. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, by one man sinner in the world, and then death through sin. Uh, Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Our sin has separated us from God. And that's man's greatest problem, is that we're spiritually separated from God. Apart from Christ, we're spiritually separated from God. And there needs to be a restoration of fellowship. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, says, You who were dead in trespasses in sin. And that's how God sees all people apart from Christ, separated from him in their sin. You may physically have the greatest help you've ever had, but spiritually, you're dead. But Jesus made a promise in verse number 25. He, though he said, I am the resurrection and the life, he also said, he who believes in me, though he may die physically. And everybody's going to die physically. Again, I don't care how healthy you are. There's a time appointed into your life, friend, where you're going to die unless Christ comes and raptures the church, and we're changed in that moment with all the other believers who will go up in the air, you're going to die. It's appointed to man wants to die. But the promise of Christ is though you may die physically, if you've placed your faith in him, you've repented and trusted him, you'll live forever in a place called heaven. It's the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus spoke. Lazarus represents, again, all people who are dead in their sin. And Christ spoke, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth by the power of God. And in verse number 44, he said, loose him and let him go. And it's a picture of the process of sanctification where daily we're set free from all of those. Now, immediately, friend, we have the opportunity to be free in Christ. But progressively, it takes place as we begin to follow Christ. We're set free from addictions and habits and tendencies, and all of those things from the flesh uh, that attack us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're set free. And so Lazarus then was now set free in this new life. And so he's a picture of everyone who's turned from sin and trusted Jesus Christ. And the text we'll look at tonight in our Bible study, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so that's the life we're going to examine today, the life after life. Lazarus has now experienced a new birth, so to speak. And it's a picture of John 3, 7. Jesus said, you must be born again. And when everyone turns from sin and trusts Christ spiritually, we're born again. But if he leaves us on this earth, there's still life. And today we're going to look at the life after the life that Lazarus experienced in his life and the life of his two sisters, Mary and Martha. You know, the total picture of what Christ does in you, the abundant life, it's different for every person. Every person in this room has a different kind of life. Um, but the framework of which God builds that abundant life on, it's always going to be the same. And so we're going to see in our text today in the lives of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha some defining spiritual traits of a life surrendered to Christ's lordship. And these same traits should be visibly evident in our lives also. Well, what, are, what are these traits? Well, first off this morning, I want you to notice the dining with Christ. The dining with Christ. That all perks some of you up. It's talking about food. It's, it's the dining with Christ. You know, in two parallel passages of Scripture, in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, uh, the Bible says that this took place at Simon the leper's house. Um, This shouldn't be confused with an instance that took place in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus went to dine in the house of a Pharisee and a woman who had been saved from a very um, dreadful life of harlotry came in and began to show her appreciation for the freedom that she had. This took place um, at at Simon the leper's house in in Bethany. And the Bible says in verse number 2 of our text in John Uh, Twelve that Jesus is there, Lazarus is there, Mary and Martha are there. But again, our two uh, supporting texts today from Matthew 26 and Mark 14, they say it was at Simon's house. But look what the Bible says in verse number 2. It says, there they made him a supper, and so they make Jesus a meal. He was the God-man. He had needs just like we have. His sugar could drop just like yours. And so Jesus needed to eat the same as we did. And so they were meeting the need. They had made him a supper. But look what the Bible continues to share in verse number two. It says that Martha served, but notice this part. This is the part we're looking at right now. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And so he's fellowshipping with Christ. He's sharing a meal. He's dining with Jesus. And my friend, you'll never experience the abundant life Christ has planned for you apart from fellowship with him. Listen, through Bible study, and through prayer. That's you want to you say. Oh man, I'd, that'd be great like Lazarus just to sit down and share a meal with Jesus. Maybe you'll be able to do that in eternity. But I'll tell you this, friend. Every morning when you get up, you can have breakfast with Jesus Christ. Before you eat your Wheaties or your waffles or whatever it is that you eat in the morning, friend, you can get alone with Jesus and you can share a meal with Him before the day begins. You can feast on His Word. And that's what... That's what Lazarus was doing more than eating. Uh, Job chapter 23, and in verse number 12, listen to what Job, listen. You won't talk about problems to lay down. You won't talk about afflictions and hardships. Listen to what Job had to say in verse number 12. He says, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. He says, I have treasured the words of his mouth, speaking of God, God's word. He says, more than my necessary food. Job had some physical ailment. And food would certainly uh, give strength to his body to be able to, to use those processes that God had put within him to help cure some of the problems. Infection was one. He was covered in bowls. He had a lot of troubles and a lot of physical ailments that he was dealing with. But he said, more than food, I've treasured the Word of God. And so here Lazarus is sitting and sharing a meal with Christ, but he's listening to Jesus speak. Colossians chapter 3 And verse number 16, listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Colossae. Listen, who was dealing with the challenge of Gnosticism, uh, spiritualism, which which was a a false doctrine concerning Christ. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. He says, that word dwell means to be at home. He says, let the word of God dwell. Dwell in your body richly. That is to 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 take it through your eyes and to internalize it and to let it be at home and to be restful within you. You know, there's some bottles of things that you know that's got a big uh, cross and skull bones on it, and you're you're not uh, you're not to, to to drink those things because it's poison. But if you do, it'll tell you some things that you can do immediately. One's called 911. Um, but you can drink a bunch of milk or you can call poison control. They may tell you, don't to make, especially you sympathetic people that get sick, don't want to make you nauseous, but you can gag yourself or you can drink a big old bottle of good tasty salt water. And salt water inside your stomach, friend, listen, it's not at home. And as soon as it touches down, it's coming out just as quick as it went down. That's the complete opposite of what Paul is saying. He's saying... Even if it cuts you the wrong way, let God's Word dwell in you richly. Just like eating a slice of apple pie and you want more to dwell in you richly. He says, have that same attitude about God's Word. Lazarus seized the opportunity to sit and to share a meal with Jesus Christ. But listen, friend, he feasted more on Christ's words than on Martha's workings. When Jesus was speaking, he was more intent in receiving what Christ had to say than eating what Martha had placed on the table. That was the meal that he was sharing. Your spiritual life will never rise above the time you deliberately spend with Jesus every day through the study of his word, through meditation upon that word, and through prayer. That speaking and listening. To sit down in front of a copy of God's word for him and to read it. Looking again, for those four four things that we like. What's the original message to the original audience? What's the time-transcending truth? What's the application for my heart? And then our response, God, what am I going to do with this now? What is it your Spirit's challenging me to respond in that? And then to meditate upon, what is it I've read? God, really, what are other ways that that apply to my life? Who can I share this with? Who needs to hear this besides me? Who can I be a blessing to encourage? Not just reach and teach, but who can I encourage today by sharing these truths? And then just to spend time, friend, in prayer, talking with God, adoring Him, confessing known and unknown sin, thanksgiving, and then supplication, to speaking on the behalf of others, and then, friend, silence. Just to be still and to know that He is that he is God. Your spiritual life will never rise above that time. There's the dining with Christ we see in the life of Lazarus. Second notice now, the devotion to Christ. We've seen the the dining with Christ, but I want you to notice now the devotion to Christ. Look what our text says again in John 12 and in verse number three. Then Mary, who was one of the two sisters of Lazarus, she took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now again, our supporting text from Luke, from Matthew 26 and from Mark 14, they say she first anointed his head, and then John bears the detail that she next anointed his feet. And so she was expressing a very costly devotion for the costly act that Jesus was about to do for her. Verse number five, we see Judas, he just loses his mind um, because she's poured all of this oil out upon Jesus on his head and his feet. It's an oil that was used uh, prior to a body being placed either underground or in a tomb. It was used at burial. But Judas, you know, being the money man that he was, you know, there's always one somewhere uh, within the church. You know, they squat so hard on the buffalo, you know, it makes him squat. They won't get off the nickel and uh, uh, he was one of those, you know, all he saw was the price. And so he said, man, that's $300, that's 300 denarii worth. Well, you know, they only made about a penny a day, so to speak. So th- this was a year's worth of wages that she had spent buying this oil and anointing Christ, listen, symbolically, because she understood what Jesus was about to do for her. This act of devotion it cost her something. And so she was sharing with him how much she loved him. I want you to notice you know, a few things about this, her devotion to Christ. First off, it was a display of love. Uh, verse number seven, Jesus says, You know, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Christ acknowledged that she was doing this because she knew he was about to die. Not that just to die physically, then the sense of he's gonna die like Lazarus. She knew that he was about to give his life. Why, Luke 10, she sat at his feet. Why, Martha was so busy and worried and upset nobody was helping her. She was just busy, 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 busy. Well, Mary was doing the first thing. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she was listening. She was learning. She truly understood, in Luke nineteen ten that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so she was acknowledging that Christ was soon to die for her. It was, it was a very costly display of love. But not only that, it was a display of loyalty. Look what the Bible says in verse number 3, that she took this pound of very costly spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now we saw from our, uh, we shared with you from Matthew 26 and Mark 14, you can reference later, just write them there in the corner of your Bible. She anointed his head first, but then she anointed his feet and she placed herself At his feet, she was placing herself in the place of a slave. She was humbling herself in the place of a servant before Jesus Christ. It was not only a display of love, but it was a display of loyalty. She was saying, my life is yours. It's how Paul began that that great work on salvation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a bondslave. He says, I yield, in Acts chapter 9, he says, when Jesus showed me grace and he showed me mercy, I said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he says, in that moment, I laid my life down at the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, I placed my life at his feet. And that's what Mary was doing. She, She saw her life as a bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, friend, was it a display of loyalty, but it was also a display of lowliness. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 15 says this the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he said, But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. Well, listen to what the Bible says in verse number 3 again. She took this pound of very costly spikenard, she anointed the feet of Jesus. She started first with his head, then she anointed his feet, and now she wiped his feet with her hair. She has let down what Paul says it was a woman's glory. That was their long hair. She has let down her glory, and she's placed it at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, she's abandoned her glory to His. Our 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 29 says this, that no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's what she did. She placed herself at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she began to let her glory down for his. Galatians chapter 4, and in verse number 14, the Paul concluded that great work in defense against Judaism by saying, but God forbid... That I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Don't you know, friend, just by being around people, that there weren't some friends and neighbors that said, you know, your brother is Lazarus. You guys could have a side show. You could really make some money. You need to tour Lazarus around as a family and you need to show everybody what it is. Man, This is the guy that came back to life. I mean, this, this is Lazarus. Everybody's Talking about him. But Mary realized, friend, the only reason people were talking about him was because of the work that Jesus had done in his life. And she realized if there was any good in her, it wasn't her, friend. All the glory and praise went to Jesus Christ. And so she positionally placed herself at the feet of Christ. What an example of devotion to Christ. Love, loyalty, and lowliness. A costly love. She poured the spikenard on his head and his feet. Symbolically, and friend, listen, it, didn't, it wasn't just a blessing to Christ, it was a blessing to everybody. The aroma filled the room. It, it, was, it was a display of loyalty. She says, I'm your bond slave. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And it was, it was, a, it was a devotion of lowliness. She emptied her glory for the glory of Christ. But now, here's you know, the Coldwater Committee is never far away. Never far away. Anytime something good is going on for the glory of God, Satan's there to pour water on it. And so there was a, a but, something happened. But it wasn't without complaint. Look at verse number 5. So the Bible says in our accompanying passages in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 that it wasn't just Judas, it was some of the disciples. Now Judas, he at least speaks out. But the question Judas said was, well, why... Now, I see all of this, but why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii? And then, you know, he tries to tie something good to it. And given to the poor. You know, give give them. Well, he didn't want the money. The poor was him. He didn't care about the poor. He only wanted to pad his pockets. This he said uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John says, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. So he was embezzling. So he didn't care about the poor. But he, listen, her act of devotion to Christ was being mocked and was being looked upon in, in a bad way. Uh, you know, in Matthew 26, verse 8, Mark chapter 14, verse 4, the Bible says some of the disciples were indignant. As they looked at her, poured this on his head, Pour it on his feet, and then to let down her hair, friend, and with tears just began to wipe, wipe his feet. To giving him praise for what he was about, what he had done, what he was about to do for her, and what he was going to do in the future. And telling him, about, through, through example, I'm your bond slave. I'm your bond. They said, you know, we don't understand this kind of devotion. That's what they were saying. What's she doing down there? Why would she, why would she waste that? Why would she give her whole life? You begin to wonder, you know, and listen, these are the disciples. You begin to wonder if they too had become so familiar with Jesus that they too had lost the wonder. You know, what's, what's she doing this for Jesus for? And they'd forgotten who Jesus really was and that he was fully deserving of every single act of devotion that Mary was showing toward him. They'd lost the wonder. You know, this, this old man, we could, we could have done something good with this. Friend, I'm telling you, when when you, like Mary, exhibit this same kind of devotion through love, loyalty, and lowliness, listen to me this morning. Don't don't be surprised when those near you begin to question your devotion. Don't don't be surprised when a friend or family member begins to question this same kind of devotion that you have toward Christ, not in its authenticity. No one questioned whether it was real or not. No one says, "Why she's just faking we know how she talks when Jesus isn't around. And she doesn't act like that. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is here, you know, and she's just she's pouring stuff on his head and bowing at his feet. It wasn't in authenticity. No one questioned that. So, it, it, But it was in its worth. You know, wh- why, why is she doing that? That's, that's $300. I mean, that's, that's a year's worth of wages for a person then. Why, why, would, she, why would she do that? And at least Judas said it. He at least had the guts to come out and say it, but everybody else was thinking it. Most won't say it, but they're always thinking, listen, I want the birth and the blessings. The birth is the new birth, John 3, 7. I want to be born again, and I want all the blessings that God can give me, but why would I waste the best days of my life wholly devoted to Jesus like her? That's the question they were asking. She laid everything she had down at the feet of Jesus, And they begin to question that. Is it really worth that? Friend, I'm telling you, you're going to deal with people all the time in discipleship who say, yes, I've been born again. Yes, Jesus has changed my life. They may say it, but most won't. But they'll say it through their actions. I'm not giving the best of my time to Jesus. I'm not going to tell Jesus I'll be be willing to move away from mom and dad and what I've known all my life if you call me into something different. Jesus, I'm not going to be willing to step out of my comfort zone and rely on you to work through the the spiritual gifts you've given me to do what you've called me to do within the life of the church because it it makes me a little little uncomfortable. It makes me nervous. I'm not not willing to to strike up a conversation with someone about whether they're going to spend eternity and share with them what the Bible says, even though the cross is an offense, and it's not probably going to be favorable. I'm not... I want to go to heaven, and I want all the blessings of God. I want Jesus to bring all my Lazarus out of the grave. But now I'm not willing to have that kind of costly devotion. Well, Judas, you know, he would commend you. He would commend you. But I want to share with you Mark chapter 14, and in verse number 9, listen to what Jesus had to say. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, this good news... In the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, here's the question. Do you want Judas to commend your definition of devotion, or do you want Jesus to commend your definition of devotion? Now, I can't speak for you, friend, but I want Jesus to be pleased with what devotion is. I display toward him it's not what you say friend it's what you do but it starts with what you believe so there are a lot standing around Judas at least said man 300 denarii man that's that's pretty costly it's costly Well, friend listen when you give your life to Jesus Christ it will cost you everything you must surrender your whole life to him everything physically you own, your dreams, your desires, your plans. You give him everything. And anything less, friend, is not total devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. So says Christ. Now Judas, he's all for it. It just comes down to who's commending you want, Judas's or Jesus's. Third notice this morning, not only the devotion to Christ, but the doing through Christ. Lazarus was dining with Christ on his words Mary was devoted to Christ. Now notice the doing through Christ. Notice what the Bible says again in verse number 2. It says, and there they made a supper, and Martha served. That's what Martha was, was, was good at. She was skilled and gifted in serving. But things are different now. We, all we see is that she, she served. You know, When we're first introduced to Martha in, in Luke chapter 10, Man, she is just an absolute wreck. Uh, Verse 38 of Luke 10 says, Now it happened when he had entered a certain village that a certain woman named Martha welcomed Jesus, him, into her house. And she had a sister uh, called Mary who also sat at the feet of Jesus to hear his word. Now listen to verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, here's here's the diagnosis. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. And she was. There Jesus was in her presence. She had the opportunity to hear his words. We don't see anywhere that he commanded her to make a meal. We don't see anywhere that he asked her to, to make him a meal or that he was in need of a meal. That's just what she decided was needed And what needed to be done. But we know from this text, friend, what needed to be done was for her to sit and listen. Because Jesus said in verse number 42, But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What was the good part? To sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. To listen from Him. Well, we saw in our text last week, don't miss this. uh, John chapter 11, it's, it's Martha who engaged Christ. She's speaking to Christ about the need in the family. Lazarus is dead. And Christ has this dialogue with her. He's speaking to her. She's listening. By faith, she's trusting. Even though she says, you know, he's been dead four days, still she believes if Jesus says it can happen, it's going to happen. And so she's grown in Christ. And now, friends, she's really ready to serve. Why? Because she surrendered all of those wants, all of those needs, all of those doubts... All of those hinders, she's brought her life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And now don't miss this. Now she's not ready to serve Christ. She's ready for Christ to serve through her. See, friend, that's the successful Christian life. It's not Again, it's not you doing something for Jesus. It's Jesus doing something through you that could never be done unless he did it himself. It's us being yielded. And then he gets all the glory for it. Now she's found the balance. Now she understands what real service is all about. Before, she'd she'd always put physical food before spiritual fellowship. But now she realized what's first. And what Jesus needed was for her to hear him. And now she's done that. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He's called her to come to lay down all those burdens. And in him and him alone could find rest. And she did. And so she received his word in John chapter 11. Now she's ready to serve. Now we see her serving through peace. Listen, that passes all understanding. Friend, it's not just that you serve, it's how you serve. And we're thankful that everybody shows up to be a listener on Wednesday night, those of you that come. It also matters how you listen. If you sit there and say, oh, just let me get this over with. Well, friend, you're not going to be able to be spiritually what you need to be for that child and you're not going to be able to receive what Christ wants to share with you from your time with them. But if you see that as, Lord, I really don't know how I'm going to do this, but I want you to do it through me. I yield myself to you, and thank you, God, for the opportunity I have to be a listener to this child whom I not ever wise hear the gospel other than this Wednesday night Awana meeting. It's just an example, friend, of whatever it is that God calls you to do it's about your attitude in that service. That it's, one, it's a privilege. But then, two, friend, that he does it through us. And so now we see her serving, Philippians four seventeen through the peace that passes all understanding. She realizes these two truths, even though he hasn't spoke yet. John 15, 5, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. But Paul says in Philippians 14 that I can do all things through Christ. It's, it's, two, it's both sides of the coin. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Paul says, but I can do all things through Christ. And my friend, I'm telling you, whatever it is that God has called you to do, listen, you can't do it. You can't do it. Whatever God has called you to do, you can never do it. But he can do it through you as he strengthens you and works through you. The devil will tell you you'll never be able to do that. And He's right. You can't. But Christ can do it through you as you yield yourself. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. I want to ask you this morning, are you serving Christ? What's God called you to do in the life of this church? We certainly know He's called all of us to live on mission apart from the church, seizing opportunities, looking for opportunities, being fishers of men every day, looking for opportunities to share the gospel, to sow the Word of God into people's lives, to help disciple people with truth who have been saved, to help call uh, those who who have walked away from Christ back into a right relationship with Him, to be the hands and the feet of the gospel. What has He called you to do? Are you doing it? Is He doing it through you as you yield yourself to Him? Again, friend, it all comes again to how you see the local church. You know, you wear an apron or a bib when you come to church. There's a place for both. You've got got bibs on this morning. You know, I'm, I'm I'm wiping chins right now. Give me a little more. That's what God has called. Listen, God didn't call me to fill this church. He called me to fill the pulpit. That's what pastors are to do. They're to fill the pulpit. To share God's Word. And you're here, and I'm glad you're here. You've got your little aprons on. And and the best that I can, as Christ speaks through me, I'm trying to share God's Word. And I want you to listen, friend? There's a time to take the bib off and to put the apron on. And to serve. What is it that God has called you to do within the life of the church? Many of you know what that is. You could communicate. You could write it down. You're doing it. But there's still some. You're not serving within the life of a church. There's a time and a place for both. And part of our life after life is marked by service. He saved us and get part of the abundant life, friend. Listen, the joy of this life is not just drifting through till we get to heaven. It's being a part of kingdom business, to be a part of building a wall for Jesus Christ. It's one soul at a time. It's it's a privilege to be a part of that. Faithful fulfillment to Christ's callings upon our life for the upbuilding of his kingdom, the doing through Christ. Fourth, and I close, I want you to notice now, the display of Christ. The display of Christ. Notice what the Bible says, and we'll, we'll go to an invitation this morning. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he, that's Jesus, was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. They knew that Lazarus had been dead four days, so much so you could smell him when you walked by the tomb. That he was, he, he was dead. But now he was alive. He had, he had shown himself. And so people were coming back. They wanted to see him whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 10 says, But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. But don't miss this. Because on account of him, Lazarus, don't miss this part, on the change that had taken place in him that could only be explained by the power of God. And because of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. The resurrection of Lazarus' life represents every disciple that makes the change that Jesus makes in someone's life. If you've been saved by grace... You, you are a living example of what physically took place in Lazarus' life. You were brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is with the life we have. Now we're to be a part of trying to see people reconciled to God. How, why, why they need to be reconciled. Again, Isaiah 59 verse 2, because sin separates people from God. They're separated from God. They can't know God. Other than Romans 1, what God reveals through conscience and creation. But we're, we're to be mouthpieces of, of the gospel. Uh, Verse number 19 says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Now listen to verse 20. Now then, Paul says to the church at Corinth, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ as to God we're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what a changed life was Someone looked at Lazarus and said, man, that's never happened to me. He's got a little extra twinkle in his eye. He, he looks like the air smells just a little better. He looks like he looks at the flowers, that they're just a little prettier than he did before. There's something different about him that I don't have. What was it? It was the working of Christ in his life. And we're to be living examples of that. Friend, Listen, your life doesn't tell someone how to be saved. But a life looks, what a life looks like that has experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Your life doesn't share the gospel, it shows the results of the gospel. Your mouth shares the gospel. Don't confuse the two. Your changed life, after you trust Christ, it shows the results. The people you knew before, before you trusted Christ, they're going to look at the way you listen to the way you speak. They're going to see what your lived-out priorities are. They're going to see, man, there's there's a difference in the way you walk, talk, think, and respond to everything. And they're going to say, man, something's happened to them. What was it? He said he got saved. He trusted Christ to be Lord of his life. But they still don't know how to be saved. They see that there's something different, but they don't know how to experience that. Now we have to tell people how to be saved. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by... The Word of God. And so Paul continues to say in Romans chapter 10, verse number 14, How then shall they call upon them whom they've not believed? Someone sees your life, and they know something's different, but how can they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in Him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You say, that's that's right, we'll call you preacher. No, you're the preacher. God calls each of us, friend, to preach the gospel. Not just with our lives that there's change, but with our lips to tell people how to be saved. Romans 10:70. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by. We're to share the word. Oh, Bertie, I don't know what to tell them. Tell them Romans 3:23. Share with them Romans 6:23. Share Luke 13:3. Share Romans 10, 9, and 10. Show Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Just let the Word of God speak. But you've got to share it. You've got to share it. You've got to tell. But if you don't have a changed life, listen. What you tell, there's still power in the Word of God, but the emphasis will not be the same. Now listen to me. Listen this morning. Perk up and listen. listen. This will perk you up. Three minutes, we're going to be in the invitation, so look here. If your life doesn't demonstrate a change that only Jesus can get the glory for, even if you share the gospel and praise God you do, the impact is not going to be as strong. It doesn't diminish the power of God. But there's impact, personal impact, when your life is a living demonstration of the gospel. I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and the other disciples now are standing before the Sanhedrin. Listen the supreme religious court of the world. And they look at them and they tell them, listen, we're tired of hearing you boys preach about Jesus. And now we're going to rough you up if you keep doing it. We're telling you, stop talking about Jesus. And now this is Peter, who just 50-some days before, at the finger pointing of a little girl, said, I don't even know who Jesus is. Denied that he even knew him. But now something's changed in his life. Listen, he stands in verse number 12 before all of these liberals that don't want to hear what the Bible says. He says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He spoke truth. He told people it's through Jesus Christ alone that you can be saved. But here's the emphasis, friend. Here's where the impact of what he said made a difference. They remembered this was the one that at the finger point of a little girl ran, but now, friend, he's boldly standing in our face speaking truth. Listen to verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, listen, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They saw not only, they didn't just hear what they said, they saw the result of Christ in their lives. They were a living display of Jesus Christ. So the question to ask as we come to imitation this morning is this listen, for those of us who've been saved, you can truly identify a moment in your life where you repented and trusted Christ. Are these same traits in my life? Am I, am I daily dining with Christ? Feasting on his words? That priority in my life. Do I, like Job, do I treasure his word? more than my necessary food? Do I have that same kind of costly devotion that Mary exhibited? I am the bond slave of Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I don't have Spikenard to give, but I'll give my life. I can give my life. Am, am, I, am, I, am I doing through Christ? Is He working through me in all the things that He's called me to do? And do I daily display A changed life that only Jesus Christ can get the glory for. If there's a rub anywhere there this morning, just a little bit of a rub, why not in the quietness of your heart, why don't you say, God, remake me, remold me, touch me today, and mold me to the image of your Son. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray for those in our church family that need your reviving touch upon their life this morning spiritually. They've been saved. But these traits that we find in Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they may not be found in someone's life today. Spirit of God, convict. I pray our wills will be broken and surrendered. And just like the day we got saved, we surrendered our life to the Lordship of Christ. I pray afresh and anew this morning, we will surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ anew. And God, you'll begin to work in those areas. Speak to our hearts. You know where there's need. We'll hear your voice. I pray we'll surrender that part of our life afresh and anew. Now, if our heads bowed and their eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you know for a fact you've never experienced spiritual life there's never been a moment where you really turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of all of you. Do that today. He loves you. He paid the price for your sin, rose from the grave, offers you life that can only be found. He is the resurrection. He is the life, and he'll give you life. And John 10:10 says this, friend, until you go to heaven, a more abundant life than you could ever imagine or make for yourself. But it begins by you trusting him and receiving spiritual life. Tell him so that you want to do that right now where you sit today. Pray by faith silently. God, forgive me of my sin. I repent of it and turn from it. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And I surrender my life to Christ's lordship. Come live and reign in me. And then make me like Lazarus, and Mary, and Martha into that growing disciple that you want to be. Build on that framework the abundant life that you choose. That's my prayer today. Father, other needs are represented in our congregation today. You know every one of them. I pray your will will speak truth to us. Lead us into your invitation. And I pray we'll respond with yes. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand our feet. Heads are bowed.